When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, here to a topic near and dear to my heart today, which is where do the Ravens save or where do they scrimp uh, on dollars now that they've entered a new phase of Ravens football with Jackson on his second contract, eating up a lot of the cap. Uh, they certainly got other players. They've spent some future money in terms of Odell Beckham for next year. But really begs the question, and there will be certainly every uh, – Individual transaction we looked at under a microscope, you know, through a lens like this. And here to talk about that with me is Brandon Croxton. Brandon, how you doing? Hi, Ken. Good to talk to you. Great to have you on the show again, Brandon. You've become a, a somewhat a regular here. Obviously, a, a, a great deep thinker with regard to uh, how the Ravens uh, need to approach things as a GM. Love your thoughts on on defense or offense, but uh, really appreciate having you back on. So I want to let you kind of introduce the show a little bit. Uh, Jackson on his second contract now. How do the Ravens go by, maintain your your contention, and still find places where they can save money to do so? Right. So kind of um, managing the cap is probably and being able to maximize the value uh, within the cap is probably the most important job for a GM. And their goal should be to find and acquire players that can meet or, ex- or uh, exceed the value that they're paid within the cap. So, like, for example, um, this year the cap is about $225 million. Um, Eric DeCosta's job for this year is, should be to get kind of their all of their players to be valued at around 260, 275 million in value to really be a good team or, you know, a a championship contender. And, um, you know, over, over the next uh, year or two, they've entered a new era, like you said, of Lamar Jackson being on a market value contract. And that's going to change the way that they, attack uh attack their player acquisition so if you think about it like these past five years that lamar was on his rookie deal um they probably got probably close to or probably even exceeded about 200 million dollars in value out of lamar over the past five years and they only paid him less than 40 million dollars over the first five years of his 
contract. So that is a huge surplus. And, you know, lots of people say the, the most valuable thing in football is to have a good quarterback on a rookie contract. And that's exactly what the Ravens had for uh, these last five years. And right now. Yeah. And I'm oh, sorry. And now they are, they're paying Lamar Jackson $50 million. And I, it, you certainly argue that he's worth it. And, but the value that they're getting out of Lamar is not going to be such a great spread because they're paying him his basic market value. Yeah. And, and that is, that is the point I make over and over again with the value relative to cap analysis. I do usually twice a year um, is looking at those players in, in terms of how much value you're getting relative to cap. Now I don't try and quantify as you're trying to do the amount of dollars of value you're getting on, on cap, but yet you rarely can get a big positive surprise from a market value contract. If you sign somebody on their second deal, it doesn't matter who it is, honestly. It could be a wide receiver, quarterback, offensive lineman, whatever. You'll be lucky if you get that value out of that player. Um, in fact, injuries much more common to players on their second contract. It's just the nature of life. And Brandon, you haven't played a lot of football. No, as you get older, injuries become more of a problem. And that starts much earlier than people really believe. Like even during your college career, you probably had increased injury risk or, or felt the aches and pains grow throughout that. Oh, oh yeah. I, my career, my career, college career ended on injuries. I had a shoulder and knee injury, my uh, second year on the team. And that was pretty much it for me. So uh, yeah, didn't mean to bring up bad memories by the way there, I, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I do really appreciate that, that perspective anyway, that, that, uh, you know, the, the, the basically when you sign a player on a second contract, the only surprise you're likely to get is a bad one. Okay. You're, you're, or, and certainly that goes for a third contract or whatever. And, you know, people have focused on running back contracts as the bugaboo because they're one of the worst in terms of getting back your, the, the money you spend in terms of value on a second contract for a running back. But lots of other positions are just as bad in terms of, of really not getting the value you, you pay for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of one of the things you you want to think about, like w when you sign when you sign a free agent, um, you're you're kind of trading off a little bit of risk for more of a little certainty. So when you sign a veteran player at any position, you basically know what that player is capable of. You know if he's a Pro Bowl caliber player, if he's an average starter, or somewhere in between and you're you're kind of paying for the less variance because if you draft a rookie out of college they could be a future hall of famer or they could be out of the league in three years and you really won't know but let me respond to that for just a second because you mentioned risk for certainty you you're, you're you're paying for certainty you you you're paying cost for certainty yes you're uh, paying yeah. you're, you're paying you're paying for yes yeah. yes less variance like yeah. The player, the player, you're, 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 you're definitely more understanding of the capabilities of that player. Okay. And, and you being in the investment world, this is a common notion generally and should be to anyone who, who uh, wants to make a choice of investments is, is, you know, the more risk you're willing to take, the more upside you probably have. Uh, the Ravens have done very well at rolling their risks through draft picks. And uh, and getting a great return on those. We just had a great show done on that, by the way. I want to want to 
ask people to go look at the draft success scoring show done with Charles Vanneman again this year. Just some great material in there uh, about re-ranking drafts and seeing how well the Ravens did relative to, to what they were. I'll just leave that plug there. But um, that's the the way to find talent that is undervalued has to be players on their first contract. And you only get them by two ways, off somebody else's scrap heap, through, actually three, I guess, it through the UDFA process or through draft picks. Exactly, which is why draft picks are so important and why you want to have as many as you can, um, no matter the round or you, you want to take as many chances as picking as many players because the more picks you have, the you know, the, the better chance you have at hitting a player, you know, finding that Pro Bowl player that's kind of undervalued through the went undervalued through the draft process. Um, exactly. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, let's let's talk again about, you know, what the Ravens have in terms of assets to apply to make up for the shortfall in total cap dollars they'll have in Lamar Jackson's second contract. They, they have obviously they have whatever draft capital they have. And if Jackson is good, that might not be all that much. If Jackson continues to lead the Ravens to, you know, play as we, as we hope, then the Ravens won't have a ton of draft capital relative to the, we'll call it the Detroit lions of the world, but I think the lions are actually an ascending team right now, but to some of the other NFL teams who have been consistent doormats. There you go. Yeah. Um, So yes, like, um, you know, the first, the first thing that they did, and they've really had this philosophy, you know, throughout their history is to collect and draft as many players as possible. And um, they obviously have had more years than not the good problem of picking lower in the draft, picking in the 20s or even the 30s a couple of years. And that's that's really what you want year in and year out. So they've really become adapted, not having you know, the huge amount of draft capital is when, when you're referring to maybe like Jimmy Johnson points, um, mm-hmm. you know, the total of your draft class, but, you know, they, they offset that by finding ways to acquire picks using the, uh, the comp pick um, system to, you know, to, to get more third, fourth, fifth round picks. And, you know, they make trades, they, to, to get more picks, they do all of that. And that's really the first way that they will have to continue in order to um, find more value is make more picks, get more get more draft picks, make good picks and make good picks and find that undervalued uh, talent through the draft. Yeah, very, very fortunately, the Ravens have been one of the most successful teams in terms of making the best use of their draft picks. I've said so many times this, I'm not going to say it again about how much I hate the lottery ticket description of late round draft picks, but it's a load of crap. If you look at the history of drafting, particularly during the Ravens period of doing it, they've been one of the teams that has thoroughly dominated and the other teams that have been good for most of the period the Ravens have been around, the Chiefs, the Packers, the Steelers, um, they all are great at it too. Uh, And and really, you, you, you can't do without a consistent, well-structured front office. One thing that's nice is that money is outside the cap. And the combination of of building a great front office and a great scouting system, 
Um, you know, having a, a, a structure and a culture you really believe in in terms of valuing those draft picks, valuing the comp picks you can get, making good ones, that is all affordable on Steve Bishotti's dime. He can decide what's an appropriate expenditure of money, and it's outside of that cap, which is very nice. Yeah. You know, you're exactly right. Another way you can really get value out of um, your player development is through coaching and coaches staff. And you can, there's no cap on what you spend on coaches. So you can have, I think the Ravens have about 20 coaches on their staff right now. They could have 30 or 40, or they could have an in, literally an individual coach for every player if they wanted to. But yeah, finding that's another way that you can kind of subvert the salary cap and improve your team is and is through player development as well. Coaches are like pure gold at this point. I think Chuck Smith was one of the really big acquisition. The, the Ravens and, and all teams are like this. They have a very high flunk out rate for their coaches. And we don't necessarily see it at the coordinator level where there's been a lot of stability. You know, Brent Wink Martindale was a four-year guy and, and Roman was a four-year guy. And you don't you don't have that very often. There aren't a whole lot of Dick LeBeaus in the National Football League who've been in one place for a whole long time. Uh, right. But, but you know, four years, that's very stable in terms of, of, of keeping a coordinator around because they get head coaching opportunities if they're outstanding and they get fired if, they, if they're not. And it's kind of a very thin amount of runway there to be an Eric Bieniemy, who has been at with one team for a long time with success and mm-hmm. not get an opportunity at a high, higher level, but also not get fired. Right, exactly. I, I mean, all, especially when you're successful because all the other teams want to be successful. So they're looking to pick off whatever player, I mean, I'm sorry, whatever coach they can in order to improve their team. So they'll take your quarterback coach and make them an offensive coordinator. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we obviously, Georgia had great success in, we took Todd Munkin after a couple of years at Georgia. So that's exactly, um, you know, what, what happens. And it's a big carousel. And plus you have just a, a huge turnover in head coaches, which means it's a huge turnover on the entire coaching staff. So that that's also a case as well. Yeah. So uh, uh, the coaching was another one of the things I've really loved about what the Ravens have done on the fly during the season is they've been extraordinarily good at picking up players off the scrap heap who are, who are especially made for their specific needs. And it's it's been done in a number of positions. But if you look back at the 2019 team, that defensive rebuild during the season, I've never seen anything like it. Never seen anything like it in terms of getting both inside linebacker positions switched out, you know, getting two nose tackles who could both help you uh, during the year. I'm trying to think of who else they brought in. Uh, Chuck Clark went in and and, and took yeah. the green dot. Yeah. Peters, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and, and for almost nothing, Peters was a tremendously undervalued uh, yeah. asset where he was and, and the Ravens picked him up uh, really cheap. And, and frankly, he played very poorly. So the Ravens do a very good job of projecting that player into their system. Well, and I think the more you have a system like the old Orioles did with a lot of platooning, the more you have an opportunity to find an undervalued property uh, that's truly 80% of the player at 20% of the price. Right, exactly, exactly. And, um, you know, the way to do that is kind of, you know, what you see in college and, you know, the Ravens have really implemented this over the course of um, you know, their entire existence is kind of 
a draft develop and replace model where they draft mm-hmm. a player that first year they you know they're more or less a red shirt or they may may have a small role um that second to third year they they become kind of a top backup and they try to become third or third starters by their third and fourth year and when it's time to for them to you know get that second contract and make the big bucks they replace them they get that they get that comp pick back and they start the process all over again yeah it's it's a very good model and there, there's an additional component that that they've done very effectively with some other players and that is when they've got a starter who comes in in year two or year three and they like him and uh and they can often probe with that player to see do you want additional security in exchange for a little bit more friendly deal after the third year? Because, of course, free agency doesn't happen until after year four, but they've got a couple of players in that position right now that I'd be very interested in extending in Broderick uh, Washington and in Matabike as well on the defensive line. I think it would make a lot of sense to try and extend one of them given the shortfall of players in particular there that they'll have after 2023. Yeah, that's that's kind of the quandary that they're in is, um, you know, that's one of the positions where they don't have a lot of veterans um, after this year. They like they have, I think they have a very good and very deep defensive line for this year. But the only veteran that will be under contract for next year is um, Travis Jones. Jones. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, they, they should definitely be looking to either Matabike or uh, Washington to extend them you know, right now, give them, a, like you said, give them a little added security and, um, you know, give them more depth because they're going to have to, they, they, they have no choice. They have to spend some money towards the def- defensive line because they have no veteran. They, they have nobody under contract other than Jones. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting. I mean, there there have been some cases in the past where players uh, either weren't offered because we don't know all that. We don't know what players were offered in in, in each case, what uh, what sort of contracts. But either they weren't offered contracts, um, or they or they didn't take them, and and uh, you know felt some of the pain for that. I think Brent Urban probably is a good example of a player that would have done much better in terms of his own career if he had taken a contract. I don't know if he was offered one. I don't know if the Ravens talked to him about that after three years. Um, he really kind of had his breakout year as a Raven, I believe, in his fourth year with the team. So it's 2014, he was with the team, and he got hurt. 2015, he came up and he had the blocked uh, kick six. And then 16 and 17, he played with the Ravens. And 17, he's really good and played a lot of snaps. And then he got hurt and he re-signed, I believe, for 18 for that year, but then he left in 19. And so he missed out on kind of the the, the real uh, good times of the Lamar Jackson era. But the, the, the point is that his market value was greatly reduced by that injury in year four. And players really need to look realistically at that. And, and there is a lot of money on the table to be divided for both sides that you know the Ravens have proven adept at getting. They got Chuck Clark very cheap after a, after a third year deal. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else that, that's that's really fit in this category. Patrick Ricard uh, would be another. I'm trying to think of who else, but but those are two good ones. Yeah, yeah, those are two ones right there. And uh, you you know I kind of think of the flip side that it also 
didn't, I guess, didn't work out great for the Ravens or the player um, just recently, Bradley Bozeman, who yeah. there were rumor, rumors that the Ravens were trying to extend him for like $8 million a year. He, uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know if that's 100% true or, or the exact numbers or anything like that, but he turned down the Ravens uh, offer, went into free agency and signed for a contract, a fraction of that. And he got hurt last year. And so he may never end up making up that money that he lost yeah. in the potential extension. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, that's that's a good example. Matt Scurro would be another good one who got injured in year four. Any Anytime you see a year four injury, by the way, feel bad for that player. I mean, any year's injury, but year four is the pivotal year. for You're, you're going to sign your first big generational wealth contract. And if you're a pretty good football player, You'll get a pretty good contract, and that'll is likely to be your one payday. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you, any any additional amount of money, you could well be making the vet minimum, or you know, you're going to be a guy that they'll always view. If you're a great player, you'll you'll make more money. It's it's not the end of the world, but uh, but you still will lose a lot of money if you have an injury in year four. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we've talked a little bit now about some general strategies to save money and, and, and to find players that we didn't, I guess we didn't talk too much about the UDFA route. Can I talk a little bit about right, that before yeah, we move yeah, on? Let's, yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So it's an extension of the scouting. I, I think that they, that they know a lot of the guys they like, particularly from small schools um, that they want to bring onto the roster. Yeah. And they have really been excellent at finding UDFA talent and developing them and, having them make the team. I mean, you can like, you can go down a long list of undrafted players that have really become very good players. Bart Scott, Priest mm -hmm. Holmes, um, Will Demps in the past. Um, Marcus Douglas. Michael Pierce. I'm, I'm sorry. Michael Pierce. Yeah. Michael Pierce, Marcus Douglas, I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Marcus, <laughs> Marcus yeah. Douglas as well. Yeah. And Michael Pierce most recently is they, they've all become very good, valuable players in the league. And, when when you talk about value, you're paying that that rookie seven hundred thousand dollars a year, and in the case of like Michael Pierce, who went on to the Vikings, he, you know he I think he got like an eight million dollar deal from that. So you you got seven million dollars worth of value out of Michael Pierce those four years he was here. And that's a that's, that's a good way to think of it in terms of of, of value. I I what I just say is that. The young players on their first contracts who are giving you value over over um, uh, cap cost are the absolute gold. That is your your franchise is basically in the hands of those players. It's not. I, I mean, you you certainly don't want to have injuries in your twenty million dollar guy, you know, which has happened with Ronnie Stanley. But you 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 really can't afford to not have a cadre of players, and you'd like to have. Uh, you know, maybe six on each side of the ball. That's a little greedy, but you'd, you'd love to have six starters who are on their rookie deals um, that you're that you're getting very cheap. Yeah, exactly. And and I mean, you know, the Ravens will always find a way to keep their star players. So, you know, they re-signed Roquan. Um, they will, I'm sure they'll re-sign um, or, you know, they'll keep Marlon Humphrey, guys like that who are, you know, really kind of the marquee players that are still playing at top levels. Um, it really, 
I think what's going to end up happening is that the middle class players that um, that they sign that they they really do a very good job at finding and signing um, guys like Kevin Zeitler, mm-hmm. um, who are not making the veteran minimum, but also not making big, huge contracts. Those are the guys that are kind of going to go away a little bit and um, they're going to need to find, uh, you know, value in younger players and developing them. Zeitler is a, a great guy to mention because he, three years, 22 million, I believe was his contract and he's been worth every penny. And I can't even tell you how rare that is for a free agent you sign that you get c- more than the value you expected out of the player. And I, they're, they're not, I don't think they're going to be in a position where they can afford to resign Zeitler next year. I think he's going to have to unfortunately be one of the cap casualties. And that's why they've looked Voris is, is potentially an outstanding right guard replacement for Zeitler next year. If his health and recovery works as we hope it does. Uh, but, uh, but you, you, you don't ever really do as well as as you did with Zeitler when when the Ravens signed Elvis Doomerville a few years ago it was a five year deal, and I, I got I took a lot of crap for it right away. But I said the the likelihood is they will get one top shelf year out of him, one pretty good year out of him, and two years where he's battling through injury, and then you'll have you'll have one year where he's released on the last year of the deal because that's the way these contracts often work for an older player. And I think he might have been twenty nine when the Ravens got him. Um, and, and people say oh, you're being too pessimistic. Well, that's basically exactly what the Ravens got. I, so, I was about to say, did, yeah, that, you, you had a crystal ball. You yeah. saw that perfectly, didn't you? Yeah. Well, <laughs> nobody wants to hear about Odell Beckham. Believe me. <laughs> so, <laughs> we, yeah, you, we can we can talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, because I'll say I'll, I I think I'm probably more optimistic on the player mm-hmm. that Odell Beckham can be, but. I hated the contract that they signed for. Yeah, it's, and especially the fact that they did the the void deals and they pushed mm-hmm. like ten million at least ten million dollars into next year's cap for a player that we're not one hundred percent sure what he is right now. Mm-hmm. Great point. Yeah. <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's very hard to really. Uh, uh, get a good handle on what Odell will, will do. Uh, you know, there are some good things here. Maybe, you know, him working with Bateman on footwork on route running and whatnot is probably a good thing. I consider Bateman fairly polished in that area, but that doesn't mean you can't learn from the absolute master of the craft. And, you know, Beckham may be a guy who can go on to a, to a reasonable career in coaching, given how, how uh, polished a route runner he's been throughout his career. That is all he's got left at this point. He, it does not seem to me like he has a lot of speed. Um, you know, his, his separation becomes much more much more difficult for him. But you can make up for a lot with some wiggle at the top of the route as long as you can sell multiple routes. Yeah, I mean, so I I think you know I I saw a pretty decent receiver with when he was with the Rams, I guess almost two years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, not a top receiver definitely one that's starting to decline a bit um i i I think he still has something to offer um i and i make the argument hey you know if he if us signing him allowed you know lamar to sign sooner or quicker than he would have maybe that's worth a couple of million dollars um and i definitely like 
the reputation around the league of him being a great teammate and being a mentor to younger players, that is certainly valuable beyond his individual production. Still don't think it makes up for that $15 million contract, but right. I mean, like, I, I, I do think he will bring positive to this team. And I, th- I think he can be a solid um, number two receiver. Um, somebody that can get open, not maybe necessarily against a top corner, but a guy that can get open, get a little separation on a number two corner. And either Bateman hopefully develops and stays healthy to be kind of that second tier number one receiver guy like I would say Amari Cooper or Mike, or Mike Evans, um, mm-hmm. you know, a very solid, not top tier receiver, but a very, very solid um, number one receiver. And I think you have a really good offense if just those two develop in that in that way. Well, I think I think they're going to need to get a lot from Zay to 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 um, really make this work. For for one thing, yeah. Zay's the only player who really takes the top off the defense as the as the offense is currently structured. That's not Bateman's game. Bateman can run all the routes, and I think he can benefit from having a guy on the opposite side of the field who has you know burner speed. And and Jackson likes to have a deep target. Um, it opens up the field between level two and three to have that. And basically every other receiver will benefit from that. And while I thought they, they kind of reached a little bit for Zay, I've warmed to the pick because I think that that it's a um, it exactly addresses their need. So at least it, it from that perspective, I think it's it, it's very positive. But if boy, if Bateman doesn't come back with a big year, I don't see Beckham being the guy who can jump in at the X spot and be the guy that the Ravens need. And I don't think they have anyone else. So I, I, it, he'd be forced into the role, and I, I don't. I really don't believe there's anyone else who who could take it. Yeah, completely, completely agree. Um, I mean, just to kind of get back to what we, you know, what we were talking about, this is a absolutely huge year for Bateman. Um, it, he one, he he just needs to be able to stay healthy. Um, number two, you know, he needs to develop and show that he can be a quality starter. For this for this team um because after this year they have to figure out the um the fifth year option on them and mm-hmm. you know from there goes extension talks and if you know if if he gets hurt or just isn't the player that we thought he was um the ravens you know they kind of might be forced to sign to sign odell to a moderate two or three year deal to bridge the way for another receiver um, yeah. and, and obviously that also depends on how well Beckham does as well, but you know, they, 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 they're kind of, you know, this is a huge year for Bateman. I'll, I'll yeah. just say that. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I might go as far to say here is it's a really good year out of Beckham, even paying the 15 million, which is all sunk cost now, if he's not a big part of the offense, because the other players are good. And that, that should be obvious, you know, making a statement like that, that if, if Bateman and Zay are playing up to their level, if Mark Andrews is still Mark Andrews, if they're getting production out of tight end, if they're running the football effectively and they're not throwing in as many passes, um, and Odell Beckham ends up with 300 yards receiving for the year, that could well be a very good result for the Baltimore Ravens. It doesn't, it, it's not necessarily a terrible thing by any stretch. Now, I, I, I don't think that, 
um, Beckham is going to go full Antonio Brown on the Ravens in terms of of uh, being a distraction <laughs> on the sideline. Yeah, well, we hope not. I mean, it's it almost be impossible at this point. But we've seen Terrell Owens do it. We've seen other older receivers become a significant distraction. You know, we certainly have seen older receivers overvalue themselves. Um, you know, unfortunately, Beckham got the value from the Ravens. So one of the things is that is that you know he may feel um empowered uh, enabled to walk into whoever's office whether it's Harbaugh or or DaCosta even and say hey you paid me 18 million dollars to come here for a year play me you know kind of thing at at, mm-hmm. at some point even when when the Ravens have you know phased him out of the offense and going back to just two years ago and I don't want to make this a show all about Beckham obviously it's six and a half yards per target now if you say that he was injured then I, I can understand that but I can't I can't see him recovering to even being a seven and a half yard per target receiver, given the generalized decline in yards per target he's had for his whole career. His best year was his rookie year. And, and he's, and he's basically declined in a straight line fashion or very nearly so all the way through his career to, to his, to his current age 29 or so season. So it just, my optimism is limited with regard to that, but I do think there's a path here that, and, and that Beckham could provide something as a, as a, good teammate, a good mentor. And I hope he can adapt to that role. I really hope he can. Yeah. I, I just, uh, on the flip side, yeah, yes, his yards per target have, have declined. Um, I will say Lamar Jackson is by far and away the best quarterback he you will ever played with in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think it, what was a declining Eli is probably the best that he's ever played with. And I mean, obviously, the Baker, the Baker years in Cleveland that can mess with anybody. <laughs> yeah, Stafford and, and though. Yeah, yeah, and and he was fine. Yeah, and he was fine. He was fine with the Rams, but it, it was also what just eight or nine games that he was with there. So mm-hmm. you don't get a great chance to do a rapport. You, you know, they probably had a couple of things that they could do, and um, and he was fine. And I mean, you know, obviously he looked great in the Super Bowl. If if we could get that player, if you know, a year and a half that he he's been out, he can just recover to be that player. I think he will be a great asset to the offense with all the other pieces that are around him. The the ducks are aligned, and you know, having other good receivers around him, having a good quarterback, having a good offensive line for that matter, having a quarterback who extends plays may make him you know one of the targets. I'm I'm really interested to see how locked in Jackson is on Andrews this year. Cause I think that's going to tell us a lot about where we are. It could be flowers is a new guy that he goes to as the, as we're getting to three and 3.1 seconds um, of uh, time to throw. It could be, he's the guy he's looking for all of a sudden. It could be that Beckham is a guy there. And it really kind of depends on how the Ravens are challenging space. That's one of the reasons to be excited. I think about Monken's offense is what, what are the, who is going to really benefit from becoming a trusted uh, late play target of Jackson with the mm-hmm. weapons they now have? Yeah. I, and me personally, I also want to see a lot more of likely in the offense. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm hoping like Todd Munkin is looking at those 2010 Patriots teams that had Hernandez and Gronk, you know, all over the field, one tight, one split wide, you know, 
I don't necessarily know if we need to have you know one of our tight ends as a running back that they did back then, but it, it, like this is this is an exciting offense just in that they can be so varied in their personnel. They can run you know twenty two personnel and just run bully ball one possession, next possession they can run five you know em- empty set and throw it and throw it all over the place and they have the personnel to do it and just have Lamar just run around and do his thing. So it, it, it's exciting to see, like, I, 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 I want to see it all. <laughs> and I know they're going to, they have the good problem of trying to get all of these guys, um, you know, enough targets to keep them all happy. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, the, uh, we'll, we'll know more back himself. Let's, let's, let's get back to the central question of this show, which was, um, the Ravens now have a lot of their cap uh, accounted for, and it's between a relatively small cadre of players that includes Humphrey, um, uh, Ronnie Stanley, uh, which, by the way, might be one of the places where they have to try and find cap uh, fairly shortly. I don't know if it's really after the 23 season, if it makes sense now, but they haven't yet um, pushed money out further from 23, I don't believe, on Stanley. So it's one of the ones you've held back, and that's usually an indicator that he might be one of the players who will be, uh, you know, they're they're considering cutting, and they they don't want to they don't want to use that money in advance. Um, with, um, uh, you know, but, the, but the, obviously the question has to be, and it's going to be asked at every position: where can they really spend less? They spent a lot of money at inside linebacker. That's another one where where it's the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about that's why we've created the hefty renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials to participate simply fill up an orange hefty renew bag with accepted items tie it up and drop it in with your regular recycling that's it it's that easy it's time to rethink recycling with renew Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. That is, has not been the Ravens' way for quite a few years now. Um, right, exactly. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Good. Yeah, so um, inside linebacker is definitely a position. I think with uh, them drafting Trent Simpson is writing on the wall for Patrick Queen. Um, unless Patrick Queen takes his his game to a, a whole different level than what it's been in these first uh, three years that makes him just absolutely invaluable to the team. Um, I think he's pretty much as good as gone. And, um, and I mean, he's still a good player. Like he, he was good for us this year. Um, hopefully he'll continue that. And um, this is where you just looked, you, you drafted him, you developed him, and now you kind of look to replace him. Um, right. And now you have Trent Simpson that I'm excited about. Looks like a, you know, a solid player and, is very much in the same mold as uh, Patrick Queen, so he could be ready to roll in a year two. They really loved him as a as a value pick. Um, Simpson much more developed in terms of how much inside linebacker he's played when he's first getting to the Ravens. So that's that's nice. Even though he's played other things, he's played safety and and uh, but but in terms of responsibilities as a will linebacker, uh, which is where he'll be asked to play, he's much more attuned to that spot. Um, and it'll be, I think it'll be a, a, a easier transition for him than it was to Queen for the NFL. And frankly, it better be because Queen had a very tough time adjusting. And the Ravens asked a lot of him. I mean, they, they came in with the, you know, it's the 28th overall pick. They wanted to make him a, uh, a starter right away. And he had a ton of growing pains. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, um, you know, Simpson will probably get his chance to get significant playing time next year. Um, and so he'll have at least a year of development. Maybe they get him in a couple of packages, uh, you know, in a defense during the season. But you're not expecting him to get a lot of snaps, um, especially with Ro- Roquan. It's going to take hopefully 100 percent of the snaps mm-hmm. and Queen will take, you know, a significant amount. And then, you know, Simpson will just get a snaps here and there to give give a guy a rest or you know a special play here or there you you this is a very interesting point because one thing the ravens have been remarkable in their ability to find player snaps at corner and i go back to 2018 i think it's 2018 when marlon humphrey was a team mvp and he played not a high percentage of the team snaps because they were rotating all three corners that year um, but I, at inside linebacker, I think, first of all, I think Roquan's going to have the green dot this year. I don't think it, I, I don't, they could give it to Hamilton. I suppose they'd probably have to move him to strong safety to do it. But I think Roquan makes the most sense to have the green dot with Chuck Clark gone. Geno Stone could also have it by the way, if, if they make him the full-time strong safety. So that that's another possibility, but probably Roquan gets the green dot. If that's true, that takes away all the snaps. Um, from the, the, it could potentially go to any other Mike linebacker. Um, and the other thing that that will be interesting is 
a lot of opportunities created by injury, but I don't really see injury creating opportunity for Simpson or in the same way, because, well, my first, my first reaction is I don't even know who the Ravens would try and play at Mike linebacker again, if anything were to happen to Roquan. And I assume it would be queen, but he's such a mismatch in terms of, of his um, characteristics relative to the position. He's so much more valuable as a will, as a moving chess piece, as a, as a guy who can who can chase as as opposed to lead to the ball carrier, um, right. he, he's just not that guy. And and I, I unfortunately I don't think Simpson is either in terms of being a Mike linebacker. Right, uh, I'm exactly I I totally agree. Um, I I I really don't know who who uh, who would replace him at Mike. Um, as a as a if, as a former defensive player. Can you explain those roles in terms of their differences, in terms of what the Mike linebacker's responsibility is and what the weak side linebacker's responsibilities are? Yeah, so Mike, the he's the middle linebacker. He plays in the middle of the field. He is reading. He's taking on blocks, getting off of blocks, and running to the running running to the running back. Essentially, that's what that's what he does. The weak side linebacker. It plays a little bit more in space. He can shoot gaps, or he trails. He's he's the will because he's from he's lines up on the weak side of the offense. So if the tight end is on the right side of of the offense, then he lines up on the left side of of the offense, um, opposite of the offense, and he's basically he reads he run and he runs to the ball and he. Because he's on because he's on the offside of the offense, he is usually able to not have a blocker or have the angle of the Less blocker likely. and be able to run to the ball a lot easier. Yeah, and and it's more free free willing. Yeah. Okay, so so normally teams are most teams are right handed, meaning their their tight end will typically line up on the right side, being the strong side, and that's often a function of you know, having a good, a tackle who can also block on that side, having your right mm-hmm. guard being a guy whose characteristics are, are, are opening the gate for a puller, uh, you know, they, they have good upper body strength to torque and, and usually length to, to torque that defensive tackle and, and uh, turn his shoulders, get that pathway open and then allow others to run through behind him or off his hip to make blocks that lead the play. Well, the, the the Mike linebacker has to negotiate all that pulling traffic, and he's kind of in the in the crosshairs of anybody who's coming through a, a, a space as a puller or a lead fullback or whatever. But the will guy is kind of a trail or trash picker, trash cleaner, whatever you want to call it, yeah. who's scraping mm-hmm. along the line of scrimmage. And a lot of players might be able to block him, uh, but but he's, he definitely faces less risk of, of being blocked. Do I, do I have that basically yeah. accurate? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and usually your your will guy is the quicker guy. He's usually the guy that's you know your your middle linebacker is kind of big, strong, tough because like like you said, he's taking on offensive linemen, pulling guards, fullbacks, and he's got to take them on in the hole and kind of clog up the hole and make a make a mess essentially, so that the running back can't get around him. And then the the will kind of comes in and makes you know, makes the cleanup tackle or shoots a gap and gets inside to, you know, to just stop the play and make that tackle as well. Yeah. All right. 
All right. So outstanding. So I've always been of the philosophy anyway, that, that platooning at will linebacker really made a lot of sense because mm-hmm. for the first thing being that your, your third best coverage safety is almost better, always better than your second best coverage linebacker in, in, in coverage specifically. And so on a high leverage passing down, you want that third, that safety out there in the will spot. You don't need nearly as much in terms of run fits and, and whatnot on a typical passing, obvious passing down. Um, and and that also that player probably gives you a little bit more or about the same in terms of spying the quarterback when you need that to be the case. But they definitely give you a lot more in zone coverage. And I can just tell you, it is night and day watching safeties in terms of what they understand about what's going on behind them. And in particular, young linebackers in terms of what they understand what's going on behind them, because they oftentimes just it's a very difficult thing to pick up. Yeah, it's it, it's generally kind of the last thing that a, a linebacker really kind of excels at is just being able to understand route concepts, what's going on behind them, because the a safety plays in space. They there's they have a lot of ground to cover. They have to know what's going on in front of them and make sure nobody gets behind them. Linebackers kind of play more in phone booths or you know very tight spaces. So their their field vision isn't as great as a safety is and right. it, and and it, and it really comes with experience like the older you know even when they're younger you know the passing game isn't as developed so like when they're in the lower levels like high school and maybe even college they they're not it, the passing game isn't as developed and sophisticated as it becomes in the NFL so they don't get the as many reps as you know to be able to kind of contribute in the past game as much mm-hmm. again. Yeah. It, it's always something that Brandon Crawford reminded me whenever I would criticize players like Patrick Queen. He's 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 an important one, but there have been other linebackers in the past as well that they you know they're just not picking up what's going on behind them. You'd always say it, it's you know that's usually the last thing and that's uh, you, you're making the point again. I appreciate that. Uh, it, it is, it, it there's a different perspective on the field too, because if you're a strong safety on the back end of a cover two shell, you know, one of the things you're, you have to do looking at the line of scrimmage is to pick up and understand those route concepts play after play. You very rarely have an over the top one, one size only coverage responsibility. You might, you might have that if you had Randy Moss or something on the field and, and you're on his side and then you got, okay, well, wait a minute, we're double covering him. And that's, that's, he's my guy. But a lot of the times mm-hmm. you have to make a choice between routes and you know, the big plays in, in football, particularly long passing plays are often decided because a safety decides to bite on Mark Andrews on an underneath or deep crossing route or whatever. And some, you know, Marquise Brown or whatever is on that side is allowed to run free or vice versa. But that right. safety's right. decision is, is critical to that play. And so they tend to learn very quickly by trial, by fire, you know, that, that mm-hmm. things are going, going wrong. And it's, it's just the, the, linebackers they just they're they're they just have a harder time looking at the line of scrimmage looking at the way that the five eligibles are lined up and figuring out where everybody's going to go right yeah it it takes a lot of film study to to do that way more than i i could ever have done <laughs> you know but yeah yeah absolutely and you you kind of have to learn it as alignment too like you right because you you want to make sure you know where those passing lanes are to get your arms up a lot of the times um, you, yes, that, and that's pretty much it. Um, it, what, what I, I would, you know, I'm, I was, I'm a pretty tall guy. I'm six foot six. So 
I was I played when I played defensive tackle, I basically kind of read the quarterback. If he did a three step drop, I got into, you know, kind of a lane and and just and just stops and just put my hands up and you know every every few times you get a you, you can tip a slant pattern that's going on behind you or something like that. But it, it's hard to see and it, it's more about reading the quarterback than you know, knowing what's going on behind me because I, I'm not fast enough to react to <laughs> a wide receiver, whatever he's running anyway. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, you know, there's a little bit of luck and there's a little bit of intuition going on when it when it comes to defensive linemen in, in, in well, that respect. Good perspective there. Did you, did you try and um, uh, maintain an arm for separation on the defensive lineman or were you a full commit with two arms up? I, I was two arms up, and yeah. I ended up flat on my back sometimes doing that. Right. <laughs> Small price to pay, right? <laughs> no, probably. I, I'm not the one getting hurt. So. <laughs> yeah, if you if you tip a ball and that ball becomes an interception, it's a it's a feel good if yeah. you're flat on your back. <laughs> there you go. All right, so let's talk about other places where the Ravens can save. I mean, the the big expensive positions, um, they've already spent the money. In a, in a lot of ways coming up. So mm-hmm. if, if I'm going to go through the big four, it's left tackle. They got a mm-hmm. cornerstone contract there. It's mm-hmm. cornerback. Now they could have two contracts there, but they have one really big one. Uh, Rocky Sin's not making that much money. He's also, I don't, you know, he's not a top tier cornerback by any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. They don't really have any ball skills currently at cornerbacks. So they're not really paying that. Um, you know, they've got a couple of positions on defense where they are spending a ton of money. But the, you don't you don't absolutely have to. And one is in that free safety tool set, which they've got now in multiple players. Um, but they have Marcus Williams, who looks to be worth the contract so far, from mm-hmm. from what we've seen. They have mm-hmm. Geno Stone, who's who's a cheap guy, um, but has free safety skills for for my way of thinking, or at least center fielder skills on the back end of a of a of a cover two shell. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then and then they have Hamilton who they moved into the slot because damn it, they didn't have anybody to play slot corner and, and he's the best option they had, uh, which it's incredible that he was as, as successful as he was as a rookie. And, and I think the Ravens are almost in a, in a point where they're going to be committed to moving him there again this year. I just, I, I, I don't see the other player currently with the team who outplays Hamilton for that spot. And especially considering that the other safety you would get on the field is Geno Stone out of this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I totally agree. Like the Ravens have really kind of been interesting in being kind of counter counter to what most teams generally do because they really built their team. They've used a lot of, you know, cap dollars and a lot of draft capital on kind of non-traditional positions. So like you said, uh, Kyle Hamilton, first round draft pick, he's a safety. You spend a lot of money on uh, Marcus Williams. You spend a lot of money on Roquan. And those are kind of positions, safety and linebackers usually aren't, you know, big money type guys. I mean, and they spend a lot of money there. And, you know, the, the more traditional big, big money players like outside linebacker, they have two guys on rookie, co- well, Bowser is on a second contract, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, no. you have Owe and Ojabo that you're looking to kind of step up and be the next great pass rusher for this team. Um, you know, they're on rookie contracts, but we don't know exactly what we have 
and them uh, this year. And this will be another important year for Owe is whether they exercise that fifth year option and, you know, potentially extend them and what is he going to be in the long term. So how how optimistic are you about Owe right now? I, I, you, you see, you see uh, the, the athleticism is just off the walls. Um, I mean, he's, he's probably a top five athletic wise outside linebacker in the league. Mm -hmm. It's um, the development just hasn't been there. Um, As far as just learning how to pass rush, um, using your hands, setting up, um, setting up the tackle with different moves to the inside, outside, all of that. And, you know, that's something like, I, I don't think he's played a long time. I don't think he's played football in general for a long time. So th- those things, you know, take time to develop. Um, I always joke is like, I want him to, I want him in the off season to be studying just martial arts, karate, he needs mm-hmm. to go to Cobra Kai, he needs to go to Miyagi-Do, he needs to yeah. learn all the martial arts and be able to use those hands, be able to use your feet, because the athleticism is just, it just drop is it's, it's just so incredible that there, there should almost be no reason for him not to be developing into a top player in the, like this year, or at worst next year. Right. Hopefully I'm, we'll be start to see it this year. I'll just say I'm I'm extremely optimistic about his year three coming up. I think he'll be outstanding. Um, the, the issue for me, and and this is interesting because I don't know how you train on this, but as a former defensive lineman, you may have ways that you did this. Um, his get off needs to improve. If his get off is great, left tackles are gonna start shaking as the snap approaches. It, a lot of things happen with that, by the way. First of all, you probably get some some false start penalties out of an opposing offensive lineman. That that's a, that's a great place to start. Second of all, um, you get that great benefit of overreaction to the first move, which allows you to develop that pass rush plan second move. Mm-hmm. So move counter, and and if he can just extend his arm in some ways, sometimes it's a euro step, sometimes it's a spin move. It could be a lot of things. But one thing you can guarantee is that he's going to be a better athlete than every single left tackle he will ever face in the National Football League. So, yeah. so if he can just improve that get off, he's going to be a dominant force, I believe, in terms of where he is. He's already he's getting a lot of pressures right now. He's not yeah. getting home. A lot of his stuff is clean up in terms of that. If his get off could improve, uh, I think that'd be the thing. So you mentioned the Mr. Miyagi stuff. What do they have for defensive linemen for edge rushers? in terms of improving get off it's it like all the only thing that i've ever seen is just you just work on getting off at the snap you you watch the ball and as soon as that ball starts to creep you just take off and and it's something that kind of you almost just enough maybe enough reps really help you improve on that but i there's not really anything else i've ever seen that kind of improves on on the reaction of it okay go back go back to a non-defensive lineman ed reed you know when he was having a success blocking punts in early, early in his career in 02 and 03 the thing he told people in interviews was that when he blocks a punt he's usually beating the center 
Like he he could watch the center, watch the ball rotate, watch it move. I, it, it, as an edge, can Oway could Oway p- pull something from the Ed Reed book? Or you know, it seems like the way they teach it when I've been at camp is is the the, the old football on a stick prop they use, mm-hmm. and the defensive line coach is pulling it back. And he may do certain things in terms of kind of kind of tipping the, the the football up and whatnot, but I think he's trying to kind of intentionally throw off the players sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. And then and then you move it back and you see who's getting off, and obviously they're they're looking at that and trying to improve it. I wonder if there would be a, a tool or a simulator or something they could put players in that would improve their get off. That would be you know, whatever you had to spend. It wouldn't be too much within you know within yeah. reason. I'm- I'm I'm sure you know the NFL has you know ways to do that. I've it's just never not not anything that I've ever seen. Um, yeah, like all all the tools I've ever seen, like yes, the the stick with the football on it, and you know, and even like you have the center, you, we have a you know a center that would just hold the ball and he would do his normal snap, and we would watch that and see that over and over. But yeah, it, it's never been anything outside of just watching the watching it over and over again. Yeah. yeah that, that actually seems like a, like a reasonable thing to do. And I know offensive linemen are typically in their own position groups at the same time you'd have defensive linemen, but it seems like, you know, sending a couple of your centers over to practice with the defensive line and using a technique, they think they can get away with it. Maybe having the, the, the drill be officiated would be a good start there. Cause the center is trying to win. He's trying to say, I need to snap this ball or I need to show the point of the ball at a certain time where I'm allowed to do it. I know I'm allowed to do it. I might draw an offsides out of it. And these guys are trying to beat me by getting off the snap quickly. And then there's somebody judging that. And it, it, it does seem like maybe some non-traditional methods of, of uh, you know, joint positional drilling might make sense there. But in particular, I mean, a, there's, there's something a center has to learn from that sort of engagement. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, I've, I've, I've never seen anything kind of more, any, anything more in depth than just the traditional of having a center or having the stick there. But yeah, mm-hmm. I've, I'd love to, I'd, I think it would be probably be pretty cool if they, they had some, you know, virtual reality or something yeah. else that players can use to, you know, improve that skill. Cause that is, it's hugely important as well. All right, so so uh, you know, given where the Ravens have spent money, is there any hope that I mean, it it, it would seem like running back is going to be a position where they're going to let most of their players go this next year, uh, with J.K. will be you know through the fourth year, and even if he has a good year, I don't I don't know how the if he has a good year, I don't know how the Ravens can afford him. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it, it, running back is another position that's going to be <laughs> kind of hard. Um, because they don't have anybody under contract next year. Um, and so JK and, uh, and Gus Edwards are unrestricted free agents. And so is Justice Hill. Mm-hmm. So if all of them leave, they're not going to go with one or two rookies, even if they're first round and second round draft picks, they're not going to go, go with a rookie as a starter right out, right out of the gate. They're, gonna have to spend some money at as a as a veteran running back so you know they can make a trade-off like do you even consider maybe bringing back a jk on a three-year moderate deal 
do you find a, another relatively cheap um, running back? I hope they don't go back to the, the veteran scrap heap that they did. Yeah, back that hasn't worked. When, yeah, with Murray and the, the other one, well, all of the other ones that they had. You know, Murray, Bell, ago. let's remember the names. Freeman, let's never, let us never forget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it, it would have been great in 2010 to have that backfield, not in 21, yeah. though. Yeah, I, I actually think that Keaton Mitchell ends up being a very key player in camp this year because he, first of all, can fulfill. I mean, he's definitely a massive speed guy and, and he can yeah. he can fulfill the Justice Hill, what Justice Hill was supposed to be if he can master the mesh point. But I think that's an absolute key in what the Ravens try and do is you got to have guys who who uh, can leave, can let the ball comfortably stay in there for a while before they tighten up on it and go. And, and Mark Ingram was the master. And uh, we did not appreciate him enough for when he was here with all of the things that have gone wrong since and before, for that matter. Edwards had a lot of trouble with the mesh point as a rookie. You know, we, we look at all those Lamar fumbles. Well, a lot of those were Edwards, Lamar to Edwards handoffs that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just, I, I think because of their situation for 2024 that we'll see a lot of um, focus on Mitchell's play in camp this year and maybe during the regular season. I think he's he's likely to make the team in some manner, and it may be he's an IR guy that they hope to return or even an IR guy that they redshirt, um, depending on how much they like him, obviously. But um, I, I, I anyway, t- tell me where you think about Keaton. I, I like it. I mean, 4-3 speed at running back, you know, with the space that they can create with Lamar, the space you can create with Flowers and the receivers. I mean, you, you, you love it. And if he's able to, you know, kind of master the mesh point, be able to be that um, the sidecar guy to that can stretch and threaten the outside. I mean, that's exactly what you want. Um, but I mean, even if he does develop, I, I, yeah, I'd love to see him make the team. I'd probably, you know, I'd, it'd probably be between him and Justice Hill. So I think if, even if Justice Hill is maybe just a tiny bit better, you probably go with Mitchell at that point. But it's um, a reset. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you know, even even still, if he develops a decent role on the team, I they're still probably going to have to find a veteran running back and spend some money on that because you'll, you, you, you're just going to have him if he may, if he does indeed make the team. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that the Ravens had had a fair amount of success finding the guys who were on somebody else's scrap heap and they were super cheap. And, and they found that, you know, Collins was one of the really big ones that they got some real value out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a while. And I'm, I always forget some other players who exactly fit into this mold, but you know, Gus Edwards was a UDFA, for example, they, they have to be, there has to be some willingness to try that as opposed to overvaluing, at least as I've seen so far, overvaluing veterans for their projected mesh point value. And I just I, I've been very frustrated with the Ravens in terms of all these veteran linemen, uh, veteran guys they've they've picked up. And the only one who really has worked out is Ingram in terms of uh, of an ability to master that mesh point. Uh, but but you know players like Bell, Bell's a very patient runner. You would think 
he would have been a guy who, you know, would like to run behind an offensive line that'll create space for him, that, you know, takes the time to pull, that has Lamar Jackson as a threat, right, you know, going the other direction behind him, that is is otherwise generally, you know, horizontally stretching the field. Uh, would would be a t- would be a, a a player you'd you'd really like to you know a team you'd really like to run for but Bell never really seemed to have those match point characteristics either. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I've, he I think he was just on his last legs um, mm-hmm. when we had him anyway. Like he he didn't have that explosiveness or you know anything that we saw for years when he was with the Steelers. So yeah, yeah. Um, All right. Let's see. Yeah. A- any other but, positions you want to talk about before we call it here? Um. So yeah. No. I. Th- you know. I think probably also uh, interior offensive linemen is are you know another way that they can kind of save or look to save. Um. Like you said, they drafted. Um, Voorhees. The the Voorhees. Yes. And and the other lineman that I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. Yeah. Uh, we'll call it Mal or or uh, Salah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Sala. Yeah. Um, I've, you know, they're, they're working on a competition with them. They're, um, they're looking to save at guard at left guard right now. They have the competition between, um, Cleveland and Simpson. Um, McCary, so, perhaps. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Per, yeah. Perhaps McCary also. Um, although I, I do love him. It's a six offensive mm-hmm. lineman. I think he's been tremendously valuable there. kind of almost don't want to see him start anywhere, but um, he's been a really good six man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, you know, this, this is where you you just have to, you know, draft, develop and, you know, replace. And, you know, they, they kind of broke their pipeline of interior linemen because, um, you know, they weren't, they didn't draft well. They drafted Bredesen and Tyree Phillips, uh, Mm -hmm neither one of them even made it out of their first contract and they took a kind of a couple of years off um as far as drafting guys um before this year to you know kind of fill that fill that gap and um so yeah they they need to really kind of throw some draft resources in inside because um they're they're not going to be able to probably sign a, a like you said a Zeitler or another guy of that caliber and that price in free right. agency so yeah yeah it's gonna I mean obviously Coleus Campbell uh now gone but uh, but I I would agree I think that they're going to try and go cheap on the interior offensive line uh it might mean that Linderbaum goes after five years um he's a first round pick it pretty, you know obviously in his case it actually becomes a very difficult decision to pick up his fifth-year option because he's a center, and they group all offensive linemen together. That includes tackles who are making a lot of money, and so it's mm-hmm. it's it it becomes a more difficult decision um, there. But we're so far away from that, we won't worry about it yet. Yeah. Excuse me for one second here. That's okay. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's a uh, uh, it, it's something that will have to be decided upon. Obviously, I do think the Voris pick is just remarkably savvy for the Ravens. And, and the other piece of the puzzle that I didn't realize originally was that Voorhees is going to probably get the NFI designation for the full year this year. That's not what happened to Ojabo, who got an NFA designation for part of the year and then was brought back. And so he didn't, he didn't, he, he registered a year of NFL service, whereas Voorhees probably will not. 
And so they still have four so years they, of him. He's yeah, one year older, admittedly, but great value in the sixth round for him. I, I, I think he's a much better lineman than Salah. And, you know, was he, uh, so did everybody else. I mean, it's, it's no secret. He's really maybe a second round talent that is now mm-hmm. falling to the Ravens a year, a year older as a sixth round talent. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, also another thing to think about is this is a really big year for Ronnie Stanley and his future. So um, they're looking to, you know, see where Ronnie Stanley is. He's finally healthy and he's looking. Uh, and so now we have to see what we have in Ronnie Stanley, if he's able to kind of become, you know, at least close to what he was when we signed him to the big extension. Um, you know, maybe not, you know, he was probably a top two or three tackle in the league when we signed him. Maybe he doesn't quite reach that level, but hopefully he could get to at least maybe a top 10 level left tackle. And you know, the, the next year will probably be a year where they either look to start to move on from Ronnie Stanley or mm-hmm. they look to extend him probably long term to kind of, you know, end his career as a Raven. And, mm-hmm. you know, it'll be a big decision that's going to come up in this, you know, in this yeah. next year. He, if, the, if there's any player who really needed a healthy year to cement his legacy as a Baltimore Raven, it's, it's Ronnie Stanley. Ronnie's got, he's, he's made a ton of money in the league already and he's going to make more. That's not really the issue. I mean, at, at this point, and I, I don't know how important this kind of thing is to him, but I mean, he's a potential ring of honor Raven who mm-hmm. will probably get there if he can play 2023 healthy and at 90% of the Ronnie Stanley level we saw a few years ago when he was before the ankle injury. Right. Um, but you, yeah. you make a good point. I mean, in 2024, they can't, they, they can't cut him this year. It's a $12 million additional cap hit. They could go after June 1 and maybe save a little bit, but still it's it, it would they, they need to then find a left tackle. But for 2024, there's an $8.3 million savings. And it's it's if they cut him. And in, in his final year in 2025, there's a $20 million savings. So it, yeah. it'll, it this is what the rubber is hitting the road in 23 in terms of of who he is as a player. And and uh uh frankly the Ravens will be put into contorted to a very difficult position of having a lot of very significant needs. If Stanley isn't around for 24, he'll still be a relative value then, honestly. And, mm-hmm. uh, and if they have to go out and get a left tackle, that's your first round draft pick. Yeah, absolutely. Cause yeah, yeah left tackles, if they're, if they're worth anything, they're going in the first round and, mm-hmm. and really they're going in the first top half. So picks. Yeah. 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 Brandon, absolutely love talking football with you. Any chance I get, you know, you're you're more than welcome to come on the show again and and do some things. We've, we've got uh, the the fifty or sixty top Ravens players. We'll be talking through two at a time. I hope you join us for at least one of those, and uh, and we'll have a chance. But really appreciate you coming on the show. Tell folks where folk, people can talk football with you online. Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter at uh, Brandon Croxton five and. Um, I'm also a season ticket holder, so you can find me in section 106. So, yeah, love to talk Ravens. Love, uh, love talking football. <laughs> All right, outstanding. Thanks again, thanks again, Brandon. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short this off season, still lots of opportunity to do that. Uh, we got that one play. Uh, if you look at at Yoshi 2052, by the way, great follow there, uh, Josh Mustaiko, but uh, but a a guy who 
really does a lot of things with Ravens football, thinks very similar to me. So naturally I love everything he puts out, but, but anyway, the, 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 uh, uh, the thing he put out recently was a YouTube posted at the top 200 plays of all time. If you're thinking, I just don't know what play to do um, for, for that one play, take a look through that. Cause there's a lot of trips down memory lane. You'll take, Oh, I remember that. Oh, I remember that. And, and you'll all of a sudden, I hope want to want to do a show with me, but uh, hit me up with a DM on Twitter. They're always open. If you have other topics, I'm I'm happy to hear about it. Consistently about outstanding uh, submissions via this, and and I want to talk football with you. If you want to be an armchair GM like Brandon has been here, uh, he's played a lot of other roles on this show too. But if you want to be an armchair GM, love to hear from you on on that side of the ball too. Uh, uh, Brandon, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. Yeah, and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.